Bibles to turn to the book of 1 Peter. Our text this morning will be in chapter 3 of 1 Peter, chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, as we reach about the halfway point of our journey together. Peter is ending the section that we have spent so much time on, beginning in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, dealing with our conduct before others as a means of showing the gospel. So if you would please pay attention to the reading of God's Word. This is the very Word of God. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word from your servant Peter. We pray, Lord, that it would enlighten us, that it would instruct us, that we might more and more do your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever wondered to yourself, perhaps especially in this season of the calendar, how you can best provide an opportunity to tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ? Perhaps you've also wondered that there are times and opportunities in which we can't tell others about Jesus, but we can show others Jesus through our actions. We can be like the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, you know, there are ways in which we can be like Him, even as there are ways in which we cannot. We cannot be without beginning and without end. We cannot be omnipotent. We cannot be omniscient. But we can love as He loves. We can be good as He is good. And most importantly for us this morning, we can be humble as He is humble. This time of the year especially reminds us of that as the King of the universe comes as a little baby, born in a backwater place of a backwater of the empire. But you see, it is through the small, weak things of the world that the Lord does marvelous things. And it is through that baby who grew into the Lord Jesus Christ as a man and who preached the gospel, performed signs and wonders, and inaugurated the kingdom of heaven in the very midst of those whom he walked among. And that is something of what we are called to do as Christians here in this century. We are called to emulate the Lord Jesus Christ, to act as He acts, to be as He is. And especially this is important with respect to our humility. It is the main means that we have for evangelism. And so Peter wraps up this section. We might say even in summary, he says, Finally, 
all of you. It is a wrap-up of all that he has said before. He is bringing together what it means to show others the gospel. And so what I'd like us to see then are three things. The first thing is, Peter tells us how we can be humble in mind. How we can have an attitude, a very core of our being, that emulates humility, humble in mind. But it's not sufficient to just keep our religion, our evangelism up here to ourselves in our own attitude. It must go out in among the world. And so Peter then tells us how we can translate that into being humble in action. Not just humble in mind, but humble in action. And then by means of encouragement, he tells us how this humility that we show gives us an insight into the blessing from God. The blessing from God that we receive through the humility that he works in us. Well, let us then first look at what it means to be humble in mind. Peter begins this section in verse 8 with a very interesting way. It's basically just a string of nouns or adjectives put together with no verb, describing how we are to be. And he says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. This is what should mark the Christian. This is what should mark every Christian. Because it's a summary of this section, but do you notice who Peter addresses? He says, all of you. He doesn't say elders. He doesn't say as he has husbands, wives, masters, servants, governed, those who govern. No, it is all of you. This is a command. This is an exhortation to every single one of us. It goes to those of us who have walked with the Lord for 50 or 60 years, to those of us who don't have four or five or six years of age. All of you, Peter says, should be characterized by this. And the first thing that he says is you should be people who want harmony. People who want harmony. He says, have unity of mind. The word there actually could be translated being of a harmonious mind. Some of you who are more musically inclined than I am know how important harmony is in singing or in playing. You can't have people playing at cross purposes, can you? What if you had the best violin being played and the best harp being played, but they were playing different songs? What would it sound like? A mess. You could have two of the best speeches But if they happen at the same time, they sound like gobbledygook. I even noticed that a bit myself this week. I was doing some things, preparing sermons to be uploaded to the website, trying out a program, and it had a way of putting up multiple tracks. And I hit play, and both tracks started playing at once. And I was listening to myself and couldn't understand what I was saying, because they were talking over each other. You see, this is critical to the Christian community. That's why Peter says, now all of you, you must have this kind of mind. It is the mind that marked the early church. You recall what it was said of the early church in Acts 2, that they dwelt together and they were one in fellowship and in the apostles' doctrine or teaching. 
It is what our Lord calls us to be in John chapter 17, that we might be one, even as He and the Father are one. This is so important to ministry. This is so important to life in the Christian church. You could think of examples that show the discord. Perhaps, gentlemen or even ladies, you had an opportunity to watch a sporting event. A sporting event in which you watch it with someone who is a fan of your greatest rival. Have you ever done that? Longhorns and Aggies? Wolverines and Buckeyes? Have you ever had that opportunity where you get together and you watch a game with someone who isn't of the same mind with you? It affects the way you you watch because you don't have the same goal, do you? Someone makes an interception, one side's jumping up and cheering, the other side is shaking their fist, kicking the chair. And there's a sense in which you can't even really enjoy the moment as much because you know the person sitting next to you is going through a little bit of misery. You see, that's just a small picture. We see it in a more important sense in the family, don't we? We talk about the most important thing between a husband and a wife is to have unity of goal and purpose. A husband and wife can't work at cross-purposes or it causes chaos. It's why in almost every family there's a rule. If a child comes up and asks dad, can I do this? Dad's first question is, did you ask your mother? What did she say? Or the wife would say, did you ask your father? What did he say? Because we don't want to work at cross purposes. We want to have unity of mind, have the same goal. If we want that goal in sports watching, or we want that goal in our families, how could we not want that goal for the universe? For the people of God, to be of one mind and be together. But there's another benefit here to us. It's not just that we are united in goal. We know that if we have one mind and we are united, that brings us closer to Jesus Christ. Because what is that one mind we are to have? It is the mind that Paul says in Philippians 2. It is the mind of Christ. You see, we come together in a unity of mind as we become more and more like Jesus. We have a mind that Peter says that is humble. It draws us together. And this allows our differences to enrich us rather than divide us. As we have different skills and different likes and dislikes. In the church, that causes us to have great diversity and power rather than division and infighting. Because it all comes under the rubric of wanting harmony. This is the first thing that Peter says. You be humble in mind. And he says there's an outworking to this. The outworking is that you are sympathetic to others. It's the practical outworking of having a united mind. Because we must, in order to be united, we must be able to enter into the thoughts and experiences of others. You can't be united in mind simply by trying to compel everyone to think like you. You need to put others first. You need to put yourself second. You must enter into the position of others. You must be one who cares about others. And this is not just a feeling. There was a famous quote from a presidential campaign some time ago in which 
A presidential candidate was asked about a difficult situation, and he looked very intently, and he said, You know, I feel your pain. And I thought, No, you don't. You don't have that difficulty. You don't have that problem. You're just saying that. The truth is that we can act like that at times too, can't we? We nod our heads and say, oh, we we can understand that. Oh, I'll pray for you. And then we forget. Or we forget to check up with a phone call or to follow up. You see, unity of mind is not just thinking. It's also action. Marriage is a prime example of that. Wives, do you want your husbands to simply just nod their heads at things you say and completely ignore you? No. Husbands, do you want that from your wives? No, you want to be united not only in purpose and goal, but in action toward that goal. You don't want to be working at cross purposes. The Bible puts it this way. It tells us that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. We are to enter into the circumstances, the difficulties of others. We're not just to be empathetic. We're to be sympathetic. We're to enter into their difficulties. And you see, this is why the church should be the place where we most desire to be when we're hurting. We don't need to put up a false mask. We don't need to pretend everything is all right. The church is a place where we should long to be because others will be sympathetic with us, will draw close to us, and will encourage us. They'll sit down with us and weep when we weep. And when we have something to rejoice about, like the birth of a baby, they will rejoice with us. They will be sympathetic with us. This is part of what it means to be humble in mind. But there's a third thing that Peter says, and he says it in two ways. The third kind aspect of a humble mind is one that is loving toward others. A humble mind is loving to others. Notice what Peter says. He says, don't just have unity of mind and sympathy, but have brotherly love. Have a tender heart. Brotherly love is something that we can all Get a handle on? Of course, it's the name of a city here in America. Philadelphia. That's what it means. Brotherly love. You see, Peter is addressing all sorts of Christians. Husbands, wives, masters, servants, governors, ordinary folks. And he says, you must show love towards each other. And this breaks out humility in us because if we are to love others, we must prioritize biblically. Mustn't we? We must put others above ourselves. We must put their needs above ours. A good shorthand definition of love is self-sacrifice. Putting others above ourselves. That's what it means every day, doesn't it, parents? All of the things you do for your kids. Not because they ex- you expect them to Sock away in a 401k for you when you retire. Not because you expect that because your kid's left-handed, he'll be a good middle-inning reliever and be able to provide for you in your old age. No, you sacrifice for your children because you love them. Not out of any secondary motive. 
That's what life is to be like in the church. We are to love others, not for what they can do, but because the Lord has called us to do that. And this is the primary emphasis of the church. It cuts across all boundaries. It's why the church is the only society that has old and young, rich and poor, musical and unmusical, intellectual and blue-collar. The church is made of all sorts of people. And the great diversity that the Lord has given to us in creating His people is a blessing to us as we have unity of mind bound together by love. Love is perhaps the mortar that holds together the brick of the church, the building of God. But it's not just to those inside that we are to be loving. For Peter calls us to be tender-hearted. To be people who are marked by tender hearts. This is a very good translation. Because the Greek original is very odd to us. But I, I, I think it's of sufficient interest that I'm going to explain it to you. I don't normally do this. The word here for tender-hearted immediately evokes images in our minds because when we think of loving, what do we think of in our bodies? Hearts, right? There are even bumper stickers and signs that say, I heart something. And we know what it means. But you see, for the Greek mind, love didn't come from the heart. Love came from the guts. Which I happen to like. That makes me a very loving man. But you see here, the Greek word here actually means be good from your guts. Produce good from the place, the seat of your emotions. Show good to others. Have good thoughts for others. Have good emotions toward others. It's not a sentimentalism. It's not walk around with a bag full of Hallmark cards. It's as you relate with others. Do it in a good, godly, positive fashion. This is what we are called to do. And is this not, above all, the example of how our Lord lived as a humble man? Just think of one fraction of our Lord's life. Imagine walking around all day with someone and knowing everything and patiently teaching someone And then they look at you and ask a question that lets you know they don't have a clue. Lord, which one of us will be first in heaven? Lord, how does a rich man get to heaven? And you see the patience of our Lord in thinking the best of his disciples. We can sort of sit back and laugh at the buffoonery that they go through. But you see, our Lord was patient with them building them up, drawing them along. If our Lord does that, how much more so are we called to do that? For we, unlike He, are not perfect. This is what we are called, to be humble in mind, to emulate the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Peter, wise pastor that he is, doesn't let us leave our religion up here. It is not sufficient to think about things properly. It's required, but it's not enough. Peter says you must not just have a mind that's humble. You must show that mind to others. You must have 
Humility in action. You must be humble in action. And he tells it to us in two ways. He gives us the negative and the positive, as the Bible so often does. The first thing he says is, don't imitate others. Parents, you're familiar with this advice, right? Your child comes up to you and says, well, Johnny gets to go to the concert, why can't I? And you say, well, if Johnny jumped off a bridge, would you? And sometimes I'm surprised, because sometimes kids kind of think, well, you know, maybe. No, we say that all the time, don't imitate others. Why were you caught doing that? Well, everybody was doing it. No, don't imitate others. And that's what Peter says to us. He says, you can walk around and everywhere you look, you will see people repaying evil for evil. It's the common thing that happens in life. Somebody pokes you, you poke them back. Somebody says something nasty about you, you say something nasty back. It's the way of the world. It's the way the world works. Sometimes I think it's enshrined in certain corporate manuals. This is what we are supposed to do. We even have a saying for it, don't we? Tit for tat. You get me, I'll get you back. And we don't just want to get them back. We want to get what? One up on them. Oh, now we're not even. Now i got to get one up on you. And this escalates violence. We see it in marriages, ripping marriages apart. We see it in nations, causing war, death. But you see, the church is not called to that. We're called to be humble. We're not called to wickedness. You notice what Peter says here. Don't repay evil, wickedness to wickedness. If we're honest with ourselves, this is something that we need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ for, isn't it? Is your first reaction, kids, when someone comes out in the playground and pushes you real hard to say, you know, you're just a marvelous friend. Can I share some of my candy with you? Why don't you come to my house and you can play my games? Is it? Well, adults understand this too. Man, how about the guy that causes some extreme difficulty for you at work? Going right after you. Saying something about you that you know and he knows isn't true. Why? Because he wants to hurt you. Evil. Is your first reaction to say, let me tell you about how you can have a better marriage. Let me tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there a way I can help you with your work? How about ladies? You find out that someone's been gossiping about you. Is your first reaction to say, well, I wonder if she's going through difficulties in her life. I wonder how I can help her. No, oftentimes our first reaction is to push back, is to fight back at work, is to tell all our friends what a nasty lady she is. You see, this is our reaction, and Peter says we need to supernaturally, by the power of God, show the greatness of the gospel by putting our own need second, even our own need for justice. You see, that's what's bound up a little bit in our tit-for-tat mentality. We want justice, and we don't just want it, we want justice now. Give it to me. But is that the way our Lord acted? 
as he hung upon the cross and they reviled him. Did he revile back? When the thief who was hanging there with him, no, when the two thieves were hanging there, did he say to them, you know, you're getting what you deserved. I hope you die quicker. No. And what was the result of the humility and patience of our Lord? But the eternal salvation of one of those thieves. Is that what you desire? Do you desire more that there be rejoicing in heaven or that you are proven right? Let me let you in on a secret. In glory, if you have been wronged, you will be vindicated. You will be found to be right. Can you show patience? God is just. He's just asked us to show patience for the sake of his gospel. This is what we're called to, not to imitate others. And you see, this means we must put this into action. We can't just have tender-hearted thoughts. Right? Have you ever said that to yourself? I think I need to think more tender-heartedly today. No. We must put it into action where the rubber meets the road. You know the saying, nobody grows where? Fuzzy land. You must put this into action. You must take the humility of your mind and it must cost you. You must put it into action. Not just in actions, but in attitudes. This is the gospel. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ today, this sounds foreign to you. You can't possibly imagine letting others go free. You can't possibly imagine not getting justice. But I tell you, this is the gospel. Mercy instead of justice. Patience instead of quick, determined justice. It's not just for others, it's for you. God is long-suffering, and he is long-suffering that we might come to repentance. But it's not just that we are called to avoid imitating others. Peter gives us an example that we are to imitate. We are to imitate Jesus Christ. We are to imitate Christ. You see, because it's not just enough to avoid evil. It's not just enough. Peter says, on the contrary, bless. That really hits home, doesn't it? You see, it could be possible to avoid rendering evil for evil, couldn't it? Someone insults you or makes you frustratingly mad. What do you do? Some of you may have done this. You excuse yourself, you go into another room, you shut the door, and you scream. Ah! And you come back with a pleasant, oh, it's so good to be with you. Some of us don't do that. Some of us pop tongues, right? We're screaming on the inside. We pop tongues. I'm not going to repay evil for evil. Mm -mm. Even though it's chewing us up. But you see, that's just a start. Peter says, no, you can't just not repay evil for evil. You must bless. Where others are evil, you must bless. Where others revile, you must encourage. That is what the Lord Jesus Christ does. This is acting like Jesus. How do I know? Look back at verse 23. What did Jesus do? When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. 
Our Lord continued laying out the gospel of grace to the Pharisees who mocked him, to the Sadducees who didn't have a clue, to Roman oppressors, to his own disciples who couldn't get it straight for 15 minutes. He kept blessing and blessing instead of cursing. This is how God leads us to repentance. We shake our fist at God and he blesses us. We call him our father and then rebel in sin and he draws us back to himself by his spirit. This is the way that God works. You see, people, this is the gospel. It may not sound like fun, but it is the gospel. We must use it to forge our lives. And this is not just for personal relationships. This is our ministry. Our ministry in Katy is to bless when others curse is to encourage when others threaten. So that others look and say, what in the world are these people doing? They're not acting normal. And the answer is, no. And you can freely confess your difficulties with this. You don't have to do it with a fake face. You can say, listen, if it was up to me, I would much rather bop you on the nose. But I can't do that. I'm not free to do that. God commands me to bless instead of curse. It's not easy. It's not even what I want to do. God's working on me. But I have to do it because of the Lord and the gospel. That makes an effect on people. This is a humble mind and a humble action. Humility, living like the Lord Jesus Christ in our thoughts, words, and deeds And then Peter reminds us of the great blessing that comes to us. It's by means of encouragement. He tells us about the blessing from God. The blessing that we get from God. And he quotes for us a psalm. You see in verse 10 here? He quotes a psalm, Psalm 34. And so he says to you, Listen, this is the way it has been throughout all history. The Israelites sort of made it a second profession to be kicked around by all the other peoples in the world. They were taken into captivity. When they were brought back, others attacked them. This is a reminder to us that this is something that God has always called his people to. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. You see, the gospel is about being changed. Being changed by God. That is part of the blessing. You see, our ability to obey, our ability to act, shows that we have been changed by God. It shows the power of the gospel to others. And it changes us into a blessing for others. So when others curse us, we bless. We are the source of the blessing upon the world. Think about that biblically. Think about Father Abraham we talked about earlier today. Abraham was a blessing upon all the nations, including those who harassed him, mocked him. Abraham was the source of the blessing for others. It's also true of Israel, isn't it? All of those pagan nations 
hating Israel, attacking Israel. But Israel was the source of all blessings to them. It was the byword for how God works. It is the community into which he sent his son. This is true for the church too, isn't it? If we're honest about it, the church is the source of blessing in the world. People like to forget about it, but we should be encouraged by that. Do you think education is important? I hope so. The church basically invented it. Teaching people to be literate so they could read the scriptures. Every major Ivy League University in America was founded to teach ministers to preach the gospel. Every place that, as I say the names, you think of bastions of secularism and hatred toward God was founded to teach ministers. Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Brown, every place. Do you like the fact that when you get sick, you can go someplace and they take care of you? The church invented hospitals. They did not exist before the church. There were doctors, but there was no such thing as a hospital. The church invented it. That's why as you go throughout places, you see names like St. Thomas, Baptist General, Presbyterian. All of the hospitals that are perhaps more than 50 or 100 years old have church-associated names. The church has a history of being a blessing to society. Do you desire to see great things happen in Houston? I hope that's your prayer. It's one of the reasons I'm working toward helping us to build a building. Is that your reason? Because I desire to see the Lord bless Houston and change Houston through the church of which we are a part. This is how God does things. He changes others We don't just bless others through our change. We, in in turn, are blessed because part of our inheritance is to be changed. Part of being a Christian is to be like Christ, to be conformed into the image of Christ. So would you desire to love life and to see good days? Then you must become more like Jesus. That is the only route for the Christian. Because the Christian is one who is changed, changed by God. The Christian is also one who is motivated to obedience. That change brings about a motivation to obey. You see, the blessing itself is an additional motivation to our actions. Do you love life? Do you want to see good days? Then you must refrain from speaking evil. You must do good. You must pursue peace. This is part of the blessing. The blessing is a motivation toward additional action. It's like this. You know, we stop and think, well, does that mean that if I do these certain things, God will save me, God will bless me? It's a one equals one. Perhaps you've had this happen. You're at your home and the kid's room is a mess. And you say to the kids, clean your room. Okay, and they go about doing it. And a few minutes later, you come back and you say, listen, why don't you double up your efforts, clean your room, and we'll all go out for ice cream afterwards when you're done. Right? What happens to the kids? 
Speed up, triple time, right? Now let me ask you this. If you don't go to get ice cream, do you still have to clean your room? Of course you do. Because it's a duty. It's not a reward, one for one for merit. It's a duty. And all of this blessing is just a motivation to sweeten the duty. So it is for the Christian. The duty remains, but the Lord even sweetens our duty to Him. He motivates us, pushes us on. The last thing that He does for us as He changes us is He makes us passionate for change. Change in ourselves and change in others. Part of what it means to be blessed by God is being passionate for change. Do you notice the words that Peter uses? He takes this psalm, he said, the Christian is one who loves life. He doesn't get through life. He loves it. He drinks it up. He can't wait to be around other people. Can't wait to see what the Lord has for next week. The Christian is passionate about what he does. So it is with the church. Are you passionate about what you do? Are you passionate about music? Are you passionate about Sunday school? Are you passionate about ministry at the Pregnancy Help Center? Are you passionate about witnessing to others using evangelism explosion? Is it not just something you do, but is it something that you get excited about and are passionate about? That's what the Christian is called to do, to be passionate for change in himself and others. The Christian is not someone who takes things for granted. Notice what Peter says. He says, the Christian is one who seeks peace and pursues it. He doesn't just take peace if it comes around. He runs after it. The image is something like, you've probably seen this in one of a dozen movies. Could be a train, it could be a bus, it could be a tractor. Some vehicle is driving away and somebody is behind running. Running as fast as they can trying to get it, and they leap at the last minute and grab with the hand so they can get it. That's the way we are to pursue peace, to run after it with all our being. As if someone who cannot afford to have it left behind. Peace with God, peace with others. You see, God does not owe you. If here this morning... You do not know peace with God. You need to know the truth. God does not owe you peace. He is not in your debt. You must seek peace with Him. You must pursue it in His Word. Pursue Him in prayer. But it's also true for the Christian as well. Just because you are saved, God does not owe you either. He is not in your debt. You must seek after Him. It must be in the very fiber of your being to know Him, to be more like Him. Is this your outlook? Are you passionate about change in your own life? I'm not saying, is it easy? I'm not saying, can you easily make yourself more tender-hearted? Can you easily make yourself more humble? Can you easily make yourself more looking for the good of others. What I'm saying is, are you passionate about the Lord doing that in your life? That's what we're called to. Are you passionate to see others change? That's the central portion of our ministry. 
a passion to see others know the Lord Jesus Christ and be transformed by the power of the gospel. Well, you see, these things are laid out for us because the crown of the believer is not knowledge. The crown of the believer is not kindness. The crowning attribute of the believer is humility. It's being like Jesus. It's putting others ahead of ourselves. This is what Peter calls us to do. And it's not enough just to think about it. We must act. You must think of ways in this coming week to put that into action. Write someone a card. Bring someone a meal. Encourage someone at work. Help someone else with their homework. Explain something from the scriptures to someone. Pray for someone. We must put it into action. Putting others ahead of ourselves. This is what we are called to do in our homes, at work, in our nation, and yes, in our ministry. It's the sum of what Peter has been talking about in showing others the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have pointed out to us our need for humility, and you have shown us what humility looks like in the Lord Jesus Christ. O Lord, we ask that you would shower down upon us that blessing, a blessing that makes us humble in mind, a blessing that makes us humble in our actions, that we might serve the Lord Jesus Christ. For it is in his name that we pray. Amen.